everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Decision Hour. I'm Adam, and with me is always Patty. Adam, What's how's that? it going? What's going on? Oh, man. You know, it's really early in California right now. It's very and early. That's, yeah, that's where our guest is from. So I'm super excited to finally talk to him on the show. We've been wanting to get him on for a while, and he's just like, where's Waldo? You know, like, where's Scott Husing? <laughs> Scott Husing is on the show with us Love this it. morning. Love it. <laughs> Scott, how you doing? Good. Hey, great to be on Decision Hour. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Scott, we're going to jump right in because I know it's really early for you, and um, we just want to get this going. So, <laughs> I love it if you could just give all of our listeners a little background about yourself. Where did you come from? <laughs> Besides your, you know, your mama. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born in Waukegan, Illinois, which is far north suburbs of Chicago. And uh, that's that's where I enlisted in the Marines. And that's how Patty and I got together, Adam, was, you know, and at the vet, you, you were there, so at the Vettys uh, in D.C., which is all military. But that's where my military career started was in Waukegan, Illinois. And it is early in California, which I get up earlier now, I think, than I did in the Marine Corps, <laughs> which is, I, I you know, here's the thing. I spent 24 years on active duty, both enlisted and as a commissioned officer. But like that whole time, I never really cracked the code on the whole up in the morning with the rising sun. You know how the song goes yeah. and like being cold, being wet, I guess like a really bad career decision for me, like 25 years in the infantry. Like I just, those were part of the job description. But anyway, I uh, never really liked getting up early, but now I get up early in, in Southern California because of, the animals the, the, the i got puppies and three quarter horses and a daughter so it's uh gets me up early but um I, yeah i enlisted in the marines in 1989 and then soon after desert shield and desert storm kicked off and after that war uh which was very short war but not some refer to it as a as a clean war but we we did lose soldiers of marines and uh there's never anything clean about war but after that, I soon realized the value of a college education, went back to Illinois State, got my degree, and then still felt this uh, calling to serve. And that's what led me into a commissioning program in the Marine Corps, and I became a second lieutenant and held all the right billets of responsibility, went through the ranks, and as a, as a captain, some 14, 15 years later, that is really what thrust me into the city of Ramadi, which is what my book is about, Echo in Ramadi. And it's been a remarkable journey, to say the least, to come from such humble beginnings in Joaquin, Illinois, barely squeaking out of high school with a smoking hot 1.24 GPA. I mean, that I don't even, I was I probably could barely get into the Marine Corps, let alone like get into college. So, but the Marines took me and any success I had after that was just because I was a veteran, because of the discipline you learn as a young Marine. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by some really great people, just like you guys who are helping to share stories of our nation's veterans and talk about things in this amazing podcast medium. I just love it. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thank you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about Echoes and Ramadi? Because some people might not even you know, they're not up to date. Some of our listeners are civilians and they want to learn more about um, our military, some of the things that they've been through. Yeah. So e e Echo and Ramadi is based off of my company, Echo Battalion, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. 
as we fought in Ramadi, Iraq in 2006 and 2007 during the surge that President George W. Bush and General Abizay, that's when we thrust an additional 20, 30,000 troops into Al-Anbar province to really squash the insurgency, to really hammer down on those pockets of resistance we could not control. It became this giant game of whack-a-mole from city to city, they'd pop up here and there and then the surge allowed us to really hammer down and, and apply that pressure we needed to be effective to quell the insurgency. And the book has been out for just a year now. And when I used to talk about it, I used to talk about things like that, Patty, like the fighting, the friction, the battles, the brotherhood. But since that time, what's been so remarkable about this is when people ask me what Echo and Ramadi is about, I tell them that the core message is the power of human connection because it really is a book about leadership and team building and overcoming adversity and this power of human connection between the Marines and the soldiers and the families that supported us while we fought and our amazing goals to our families that lost so much that we're still so connected to today. And anybody that's listening that doesn't know what a gold star family is, that's a mom or a dad or a brother that lost someone during war. And they stay so connected to us. And they're such a big part of our acceptance back when we come home from war and just remaining as part of that family. I think it's really special. So that's really what the book has become. And besides being a bestseller, it's just been it's been amazing to hear so many cool stories from total strangers who know nothing about the military to veterans, to active duty service members. And when you get a message like that on social media or you get an email from my website, uh, one great one I shared was it was, it was from a female reader, which is great because I love it that women read my book and they're like, oh, it's not just a war story. It's even though the cover of it has this badass Marine, like he's going to kick your door in. Uh, she read it, it. The email started off. I've been anti-military my whole life and I'm scrolling down thinking, oh man, that's going to be a good one. And then I scrolled down a couple more and she says, until I read your book. Wow. And what It wasn't until then I really understood the truest meanings of the word service and sacrifice and what our young men and women do every single day. And I was like, boom, wow. that was a gap that was just bridged by, again, someone who had set views about the military, what veterans are, what lens they looked at us through. So it was really cool. So I love getting emails like that. I love sharing them on social media. I love traveling around the country and talking about and sharing those stories because they're all so different and to be able to see what we do through our lens and be able to share that story I think is really important to not just write about it as I continue to write um, other articles and op-eds for you know USA Today or Town Hall or whatever I think it's an important message to share those stories. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide? Sorry, Adam, I see you jumping. No, no, you're, you're like you're about at the to ask there. it. I know it. Go for it. Yeah. What made you decide to write the book? Like, what did you ever write before? Did you think I'm just going to pick up? A, you know, I'm just going to start typing. What What happened to where you wanted to start writing? Well. All right, Scott. So what was it that made you decide that you wanted to write a, a book? Have you written, you know, did you write anything before your book or just one day you just decided to start typing out a book? 
Well, that's a great question. I never wrote the book Echo Nermati to have some sort of catharsis or just sit here in my studio and just kind of purge. It was really an important story because I didn't want the second battle of Ramadi to fall under the shadows of all these other great battles like Fallujah, Baghdad, Kandahar, all of these other significant battles. And what's interesting is when I, when I wrote the, the book and I went through the whole process of finding an agent and that that's how it works. Any veteran or any entrepreneur, any aspiring writer that's listening to this podcast, let me tell you that's done for a guy that graduated high school with a 1.24 GPA and graduated and being a Marine, Google it. This kid, this thing the kids are all talking about, the interweb, it's not a fad, all right? This thing's real. So I sat here, I'm like, I'm going to write a book. And I was a good writer. I was an artist um, in college. But how to write a book? Google it. How many chapters are in a book? Google it. How many sentences are in a chapter? Google it. How many words are in a chapter? Google it. How to find an agent? Google it. All the information is out there, but you have to have a process. It's a job. You have to be disciplined to write. You have to have a good story. You have to know about what you're writing, which I which I think is easy for me because this was my story. And I did over a hundred interviews with the Marines and soldiers and families that shared with me. So that made it really cool. And I locked myself in my office for about a year and then it all came together and ultimately at that point I figured, well, it's time to find an agent. It's time to find a freelance editor. And then I invested in myself. And a lot of people need to understand that if you really want to sell your story and not just drop a PDF on Amazon and self publish, that's kind of what it takes to be in the mainstream publishing world. And I've been really lucky to, but I, I found a great agent. He sold my book like a month after he got it to Regnery. And uh, it's been it's been great. We're in our second printing now. Third printing for Echo Nermati goes in October. It'll be out in paperback. So it's uh, it's been really cool. And it's on Audible. And I've met the guy that read my book is a New York City actor. So we got together when I was in New York at Sebastian Younger's club last year. And he goes, you're the first author I've ever met and had, a, had dinner with face to face. I'm like, nope. I think like I would like if I did that for a job for Audible, like I'd want to meet Patty. Oh, Patty, you're the one that wrote, you know, the Decision mm-hmm. Hour podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking at your reviews right now and um, you're the top 10 military books of 2018. We're only a little bit into 2019. I'm sure you're going to make that too. <laughs> um, but you're like, like Scott said, he is everywhere. I mean, you're on audio, you're, you can pick up his book on Google play books, Apple books. I mean, everywhere Barnes and Noble, you just, I mean, Google his book, <laughs> use the interwebs as Scott says. Yeah. Um, what's the very best way to get your book? Like how would you prefer people to, to either download or, um, buy your book? Just, just go to Amazon, whatever you like, hard, hardcover, audible, uh, Kindle, uh, they do sell hardcover. Barnes and Noble carries it. Costco carries it. But just you know, one of the things that I like to challenge people is they're not just getting a great story. And I'm, and this isn't gratuitous marketing for my book because I wrote this book for my Marines, and the success that's come after it has just been phenomenal to share that. 
But I also donate a portion of the proceeds to SaveTheBrave.org, which I'm the executive oh. director of. And if you look on the back flap of my book, you'll see Save the Brave logo there. And that was non-negotiable with me, with my publisher. I go, my charity will be in the book. People will know that I donate a portion of the proceeds because we are a certified nonprofit at SaveTheBrave.org that helps veterans who are dealing with post-traumatic stress. And it is a 100% nonprofit. What does that mean? None of us take a single dime for the hundreds of hours we put in every year. We don't take a dime. It all goes to programs, whether it's offshore fishing at the Channel Islands in California or going up to Mammoth and Big Bear. We connect guys, these veterans, in a safe space so they can they can talk, not war stories, but just talk and heal in a safe environment. And that's what we love to do. That's what I love to do. And by buying a copy of the book, you may not want to help veterans, but you are because I'm donating a portion of the proceeds to help these guys and help build programs as the executive director. It's been, it's been just awesome to give back. And at the beginning and every day, like I said, it's all about taking care of veterans in one way, shape or form, whether it's sharing my story, talking, doing stuff with Save the Brave. I'm the president of this 2-4 association, which is about 300 Vietnam vets. I'm the senior cat herder for those guys. And we've got a bunch of young guys and uh, really, really storied organizations that uh, I'm humbled, just just humbled to be a part of because I, I never thought I'd be in a position like this. But um, I oftentimes don't even stop and think, you know, you, you put a lot of work in. And, and I think people that are successful, you don't stop and take time to say, man, I really have been working a lot. And it does take travel. It does take showing up, you know, flying across the country, going to the vetties, and then you meet the Patty Catners of the world. You know, it's like, it's, it's great. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's amazing as I was just thinking the same thing. It's always great to connect with people at these different events and to be able to connect with you while we were there. Um, I just felt like, wow, he's really inspiring. I want to get to know him more and I want to know like more about his book. But the funny thing is I didn't even know you had an organization until right now. So having those, um, in-person relationships are really important, I think, um, and getting to know other people and not just taking things off of the surface because, um, you know, I'll have my, my friends have talked about you. Um, Boone Cutler has talked to you about you several times and how awesome you are and he loves your book and he loves what you're doing. And, and I thought, Oh yeah, I'll have to check him out. I want to, you know, see what Scott's about. Um, but to really just sit down and take time to talk with us and to share a little bit about you, Scott, I'm so appreciative. And I just looked at your website for your organization. It is so cool. All that fishing. Yeah. And um, I noticed you're doing golf and just that that's amazing. That's really awesome. Yeah. Boone, Boone's a great guy. Boone, if you're listening to this show, what's up, brother? We love you. And uh, I hope he's doing better now. And what you know, what's funny. So we met in person, Adam, you didn't, I don't know if you knew this. So me, you know, me and Patty met in person, but right. now we're doing an interview on the internet. <laughs> so we disconnected, but a lot of times I meet people on the internet through social media and I never, I, I always say this a lot. I never say I have electronic friends. They are re, they're people, they're yeah. friends. Yeah. And then eventually I bump into them and Boone Cutler's one of those guys. So we're in Bravo 748. We, you know, he does his thing. He's got the glasses and, you know, it's Cutler, you know, so he does his thing and we've yet to meet in person. So we're essentially modern day pen pals. And I love that. 
And this is a cool story about this, again, this power of human connection and this uh, capacity to like share these stories is so cool. Two days ago, I was in San Diego at the Customs Immigration Service on my video. Uh, one of my Iraqi interpreters uh, and good friends of mine, Johnny Walker, who wrote Codename Johnny Walker with Jim DeFelice, he got sworn in as an American citizen. I don't know if you yes. guys saw that video. Oh, nice. He did. So it was me and Pete Turner from the Break It Down Show podcast and like this boatload of Navy SEALs that Johnny used to fight with in Ramadi. And this Army veteran, she's a female Army veteran. And when I was writing the book, she hits me up on, she's like, oh, I love your page and da-da-da. I'm an Army veteran. I'm writing a book about this this kitten who's an amputee and has got a prosthetic <laughs> leg. It's a kid's book. Yeah. And so I'm like, ah, she's like, ah, I'd like to ask you some questions. I go, give me a call. I'm in San Francisco. It's like one in the morning. So she calls me. We're talking. She shows up at this thing down to the customs office. Like, this is the first time I'd ever met her. I'm like, boom, right there again. Just crazy connection. And uh, to be there for Johnny to be sworn in as an American citizen. Any listeners of this show, if you've never gone to the – U.S. Customs Immigration Service to watch immigrants who are being naturalized say the Pledge of Allegiance for the first time ever when it counts. For the, for, they could have said it, but that day when it counts, when they're sworn in, if you don't, if you don't get a little misty-eyed, man, I'm telling you, go in there. If you're ever feeling un-American, go visit that and watch a thousand people get sworn in. And think about think about that, Adam. A thousand yeah. people. That was one office. That's crazy. One city across the entire country, man. <laughs> so you talk about border issues or security, whatever side of the the aisle you want to flop on. I don't. I don't talk politics much, but there are tens of thousands of people doing this. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, inspiring. And I, That's I, inspiring. I got to take a step back because I got. I got to give it. You mentioned. You mentioned the author, Carolyn Smith. Uh, not by name, but she was the you one that was Carolyn. down. Yeah, I know Carolyn. Very, yeah, she's yeah. a friend of mine. Yeah, so, oh my uh, yeah, she. <laughs> and it was funny because the other, I think it was last weekend, I was over at Dave Bray's house, and Dave was just like, "Dude, how come you haven't interviewed Scott yet?" And I was just like, "That's funny that you bring that up because it's like we're doing it next week." And he's like, "Oh yeah, Scott's a buddy, man. You're gonna love. You're gonna love talking to him, man." So it, it's oh crazy how how. I, you know, it, it's it really is a small world. You know what I mean? And and okay. I, I don't, I and, and you mentioned Boone. Like I've known Boone since 2011, 2012 time frame. I met him at Shot Show one year, and uh, and we've hit it off. And I love that guy to death. And it, it's so funny. And I I know for a fact you you and I will eventually shake hands somewhere yeah. on the on the road uh, <laughs> soon. And and I'll, and I'll be honest, with you, I'm looking forward to it. I I love the book. I really love the fact that it's a when you when you look at the cover of it, you, you, people think it's a it's a war story or whatnot. But when you when you read it, it's like you said, the power of human connection, and that's really really powerful. And it, and it and I think people once they read the reviews uh, on the book, they really see it. And the example that you gave about the the young lady who says I'm, I was anti military until I read your book, that speaks volumes. And and I think. I think people need more education on that. Uh, so my hat's off to you, man. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. It, it, the, the other interesting thing about the, you know, the writing process and, and even the title of the book, Echo and Ramadi, I went to, went to the mat with my publisher. They're like, yeah, it's, no one's going to know what Echo in Ramadi, they don't know that word. And I was really adamant about that. Not because I fell in love with 
my plan. You know, as a commander, you're told never fall in love with your first plan because it could go, you know, down the tubes right. instantly. But obviously there's a plan words, echo, echo company, echoes of war, blah, all that. But Ramadi was important to me because I said, listen, there was a point in American uh, history that the vast majority of the public didn't understand words like Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Saipan, Kaystan, uh, you know, they didn't know those words. They weren't in the American lexicon, but books were written about them. These are significant periods of our, our military history of what we fought for to maintain our freedom. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not Dave Brayer, Boone Cutler. Like I don't wave the flag and sing great songs about them. Those guys are so awesome, but I really am a firm believer that, you know, we fight for this country for the, you know, for over 250 years now. And this war in and of itself has become so mainstream. I look now, and as I just came from DC and you guys and Patty's out there, you know, I, I had a chance to go down. I ran down to the Iwo Jima War Memorial in Arlington. Mm -hmm. And it, was, it struck me because the thing was just refinished. It, it's the big thing, you know, with the guys raising the flag for the listeners don't know, but right by Arlington Cemetery. And it's really cool. And the names of all those battles I just talked about are etched in stone. But these wars that we fought, it just says Iraq, Afghanistan. And I was thinking to myself, as a guy that's fought in both those countries, those are countries. Those aren't battles. And right. for me to write this book, Echo and Ramadi, it was like, it was just another way for me to say, like, this Battle of Ramadi, it essentially lasted two years. It was on again, off again. And we were crushing these guys and we lost more soldiers and Marines in Ramadi during the surge than we did in any other city to this war. And that's why the subtitle of the book is U.S. Marines in Iraq's Deadliest City. That was not written as hyperbole. That is fact. So it was it was important for me to, to share that. Um, but not just the fighting. It was really about the, the people and, and their stories that really pulled this all together. And I'm so grateful for everybody that contributed because as a guy that gets paid to talk when I do finally shut up and listen to people, the stories that pour out are just so cool. Well, you know what I want to do? Um, I want to buy one of your books and give it away. Would you autograph it for our listeners to um, try to ensure to win that? Our contests totally. are free. All right. Awesome. Those are we'll, great. We'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Guys, we're coming up on time, but Scott, we got one more question for you. It's a question we ask everybody, and uh, I'm really looking forward to your answer on this one. So you're on a show called The Decision Hour, and the question that we always ask and we're about to ask you is, name a time in your life where your feet were on the line and you had to make that decision. What was that decision, and explain what the atmosphere was like at that time. And it could be anything, whether you joined the military, got out of the military, maybe it was one of the battles, whatnot. But what was that decision and paint that picture of what the atmosphere was like? The decision I'll, I'll share with you is, is leaving the military because that's a tough thing. And that's something I love to talk to veterans about is that transition. So when you reach that point in your career, and, and I was very fortunate to, you know, the backstory up into that decision was I was either a Marine, a young enlisted guy who had, fought and, and, and bonded that level and then became an officer. So I saw both sides. I was a Mustang. So my whole career, Adam, I was either a Marine or leading Marines. I was operational the whole time, 10 deployments in over 60 different countries, 
traveling the world. It was, it was phenomenal. But after Ramadi and after some impact related injuries and the Navy doctors putting a lot of extra titanium parts in my spine to keep me standing up straight, I really felt that I wasn't able to physically keep up with the younger guys because being in the military, being a Marine, it's a young man's game. You know, I kept getting older. They kept staying the same age. And so in fairness, I thought to myself, you know, I just don't think it's fair to something that's given me so much this organization, the Marine Corps, to kind of hang on to something when I can't give it absolutely 100%. And I I could have given it 100%. But I would have suffered in the long run physically, I think emotionally, when you're in pain all the time and dealing with uh, service-related injuries, uh, it wears on you. And people love you for your personality and for your mind and they're able to be able to make decisions. But that was probably one of the most challenging decisions. But when I said, hey, it's time to hang up the rifle, when I made that conscious decision and I started the transition process, I told myself, I'm not going to be scared about transitioning from a job I've been in for 24 years. I'm going to be excited. And everything I did, every ounce of energy I put into that transition was just the same as what I did when I was on active duty in the Marine Corps. I applied myself. I made it a routine. I was disciplined. And again, there's, it wasn't self-discipline. It's just discipline. You, you get up every morning, you challenge yourself, you set goals and you achieve those goals and you'll have setbacks. And then you bound from those setbacks, just like we did in the military. So to transition and feel comfortable at that time and say, you know what, I have done everything I possibly can. And now when people say, do you have any regrets? I say, no, I have no regrets because I've done so many things, so many cool things from jumping, you know, you know, out of airplanes to flying airplanes without a pilot's license, like attack jets to leading Marines in combat. Um, Yeah. It's just been a, a really great career and it's not the things and stuff I did, but the people that I was surrounded by that really, made it such a wonderful experience. So to make that decision to transition and, and now still stay so connected to, to veterans and our active duty component with what I do now is just probably one of the best decisions I ever did that and joining the Marine Corps. That's awesome. Patty. Yes, that is awesome. So everybody listening, I really encourage you to go to echo and Check out Scott's book, check out save the brave, I'm really impressed that it's a hundred percent volunteer team. That is super important to me. Um, So Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I look forward to giving away one of your autograph books on our um, decision hour page. And we'll talk with you more about that after the show. Thank you. Thanks Scott. um, Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening and uh, tune into decision hour. It's been my, been my privilege hey folks that's all the time we have big shout out to scott for being on the show today uh one last thing uh we're gonna have scott's information on all of our social media channels as well as our home network heroes media group uh make sure you go over there check out uh heroes media group by going to www.heroesmediagroup.com for patty i'm adam until next time you've been listening to the decision hour